I'm so good. I'm really doing good. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit. <laughs> I'm not great, but I'm, I'm surviving. I Yay. wouldn't say I'm thriving right now, but I'm surviving. I'm How having, about you? I'm having a weird day. I think it's the weather and the fact that I haven't left the house today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being a homebody can really... I don't mind that. I think, you know what it is? I think it's just like coming down from the holidays. Oh, yeah, that's a big... It's a downer. Yeah, and I get, I'm not... Uh, Sorry, I'm not trying to say that I'm, like, in a bad mood. I just feel weird today. You know what? Everybody's allowed to have those days. I get the feeling that the subjects of today's episode probably had one or two of those days. Yeah. And I'm really excited. I think this is going to be fun. Uh, Katie, so I wanted to just run something by you really quickly. Yes. I have an idea. What's up? I know that... We're feeling the post-holiday blues. Yeah. Um, do you want to just say a couple things we like about each other? Yeah. As a fun spritzer of mood. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm going to start. Um, my first one is a little superficial. Okay. You have perfect teeth. Aww. I've told you this before. Thank you. And for everybody listening right now, just... Hear how perfect her teeth are. <laughs> it, it sounds a lot like the email tone on my phone going off because I forgot yeah. to put my phone on silent. She smiled and that was the noise it made. Um, <laughs> I have better ones, but that's the first one. I just, I just want to thank um, my parents and my orthodontist, Dr. Buttonbaum. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I didn't really. I Shout mean, out. I grew my teeth myself, but they didn't grow nicely like this. Although I will say that I do wear my retainers every night oh. for the past ten years because I got. I guess I got my braces off when I was fourteen. So. Yeah, I know. I I see you wearing your retainer every night, yeah. and um, I really admire your dedication. Okay, I. What I love about you, is that you're like so quick-witted, like. Last night, for example, when we were watching The Bachelor oh and you were live tweeting it, it was so funny and witty. And like, I was like, how did you come up with that so quickly? Aww. You're very smart and funny. Oh, Katie. Yay. That's so nice. Yeah, we, um, we were live tweeting The Bachelor together last night. And we, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell a little story. I accidentally tweeted from the 2020 podcast account on Twitter like it was mine for a second. Um, and I was going to delete it out of shame, but I decided to leave it there for you guys. Uh, if you want to go look. Uh, the tweet was, um, I'm about to participate in a fantasy football league for The Bachelor. I have never seen The Bachelor or played fantasy football. So, uh, I have to say that I'm responsible for all this because Yeah. So like I I am a feminist, but I have this one vice that I think is probably worse than like occasionally drinking too much and like not volunteering as much as I should, and mm-hmm. that vice is supporting Bachelor Nation because it is so fucked up. Yeah. In so many ways. It is there are so many issues with that show, but my god, I can't get enough of it. No, it's it's, it's like uh, a train wreck. I thought that I was, you know, pretty bad with my real housewives of Beverly Hills obsession. 
Um, but I kind of feel like the person who smokes a lot of weed and has now done crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the difference. <laughs> I don't know if that's a person, but probably. It's a. Is, maybe, is that a I feel trope? like Real Housewives maybe is the gateway drug into yeah. bigger and worse things, which the are the Bachelor smack. Show. That is some uh, serious stuff. But you're in now, right? I am in the family. It's oof. I'm in the nation. Um, something else that I really like about you, and I was kind of hinting at this earlier with your retainer. (laughs) I've known you now for maybe like three years, and I think that you are a remarkably dedicated person. Oh, thanks. I think that as a friend, you're not someone who like kind of forgets people. You're very thoughtful. You got me the nicest Christmas gift. It was, guys, she got me a USB drive that looks like R2-D2 <laughs> and it will be what houses all of these files for the <laughs> podcast um, purely as a metaphor because I have a pretty big hard drive on my laptop <laughs> but well if we ever like need to go on some kind of trip then yeah. bring the podcast along I don't know yeah. that's a bad example no I will I don't know what USB flash drives are for anymore well you and me um We'll go in the Everglades mm. on an airboat. No, no, no. We're going to Brazil, right? We are. <laughs> also, I've spent, in the last, like, four years, I've probably spent, like, three and a half of them in the Everglades, so. <laughs> so you're, like, been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. I've never been to the Everglades, though, so They're crazy. Well, first we're going to Brazil, India, and um, L.A. Right. Oh, no, Disney. Guys, there's going to be a lot stuff we could have used that that um that spam call i got earlier today oh my god for the cruise for the 75 percent off oh and they were like oh my god guess what all your meals will be included too and you're like oh my god guess what put like, your thumb in your like, butthole oh my god lady take a breath so i can tell you no <laughs> i think we must practice that like yeah doing no. your pitch without breathing so you can't interrupt them and tell them you're not interested no, that's exactly what they do. Yeah. I had to do that for um, school. I had to call people and ask for donations. I think we all have kind of known someone who did that. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of friends who were like, oh, it was great. We all just kind of did coloring books and stuff. But no, it was like a sweatshop in, I mean, not literally, but it was very intense. Yeah. Um, so do you want to go ahead and get us started? Okay. Welcome to... 2020. Hooray! Boop a doop Diddly ding, bing bong, bing bong, wing bong, 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 bing bong. Boopity doop, boop, boop. I think as soon as I just do some yoga, I'm going to feel better. So I went, I just want to, just because I feel like I just sound like a little sick baby. I had like, it's because I'm coming from. Sick baby, put some spit (laughs) on my shirt. You flirt. <laughs> the lesser known sequel to Santa Baby. Sick baby. Sick baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ew. 
Oh, I did not want one. I was gonna keep going and make a yeah. diarrhea joke, but it doesn't oh, no, seem no, no. worth it. <laughs> wait, wait. What um what were you saying since you feel like a sick baby, what do you want to do? You want Oh, I all I was trying to say was that it's a you know, we were saying like, oh, we had to come down to the holidays, but it's a good thing because I had like an amazing, amazing holiday break. I had a, some really awesome time with family and friends. Uh-huh. And I'm probably just feeling a little bit under the weather because I was, you know, yeah. Had some late nights and yeah, yeah, yeah. I was outside a lot. We were up in the Pocono Mountains and there was like yeah. so much snow. It was a winter wonderland. And Yee. I'm sore because I was hiking a lot and I probably <sighs> haven't been stretching enough since that. So. Peace, punch, Captain Crunch. Yeah. I'm really going to do some yoga later and readjust to my city life after becoming a mountain person. I love that. I love that. You were um, Pocono around. I was Pocono-ing. Yeah. Have you seen the episode of, um, what's it called, of uh, Always Sunny when they're like, the Poconos? Uh, the Poconos? <laughs> oh, the one that's like, where it becomes like an 80s ski movie? Maybe that one. Maybe the, well, the one I'm oh, thinking yeah. of, the hurricane. I don't think they were taking Okay. I don't think supposed to be in that episode. Katie. That show's coming back soon. I love that show so much. Um, right. Who who are our people today? Okay, okay, I got it. Focus Sorry, in, we got we got eyes on the prize. People are looking around right now at their phones. I'm gonna delete this part. <laughs> okay, eyes on the prize. So today we are gonna be talking about John Hamm and Kristen Wiig, mm. our favorite lovers from Bridesmaids. Ham, it's like ham for a ham, but it's ham for a wig. Ham for a wig. I'll give you a wig if you give me ten dollars. <laughs> 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 I'll give you a wig if you give me some ham. <laughs> what would you do for ham? Oh. I, I would do... A, okay. Are we talking about the meat or John Ham? Well, right now the meat. Just because... I don't know about you guys, but like we always do like a big ham for mm, Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then we, we're, you know I was eating those leftovers all week long. And those are some good... Mm, mm. Honey ham. So I'm just wondering like what... What's the like biggest thing you would do for some like really good ham? Mm. The first thing that comes to mind is um, like giving a stranger a piggyback ride. Mm, oh, I like that. You know, keep it in the pig family. <laughs> exactly. Pig for a ham. Yeah. Piggyback okay. for a ham. What about you? Piggyback for ham. Uh... <laughs> oh, did you already do something? No. no. Oh. <laughs> I thought you did something just, terrible for no, pigs. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. I was just trying to think of like another like pig pun oh. thing I could say. But again, I'm like not. I'm not as quick with as you. Number yeah. one, number two, not not feeling very well right now. But yeah. okay, let me think. I would. <laughs> I would like uh, on a dare, like go up to a stranger sitting in their car and like make a pig nose on their window. I love that. I yeah. Not as good as yours. No, 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 no. Because pig related. <laughs> well, but. That seems like something you would actually do. Yeah. I don't think I would ever give a piggyback ride to a stranger. I, I'm generally very distrusting of people who I haven't met yet. Yeah. That means all of you. Wait, Monica? Oh, my God. Okay, so our one roommate, Monica, came home for a little bit earlier today, and she goes, Katie, so I gave this guy 50 cents outside of a store, and when I came out of the, when I came out of the store... He was there, and he was like, here, take this as a thank you. And 
he gave her like a wadded up CVS receipt. Oh. And she was like, uh, and there was a woman standing next to her and, and she was like, well, what's in it? She was like, oh, oh no. So she opens it and it was full of weed. <gasps> and she was like, um, and the woman was like, what was it? What was it? She was like, uh, it's green. <laughs> oh no. And uh, she was like, what? And she was like, she had to, the woman was just not getting it. So she had to be like, it's, it's weed. And the lady was like, throw that out right now. Like, yeah, I would not smoke yeah, that weed. No, she's definitely not going to smoke it. But like, it's sitting right over there on the table. Oh my God. She, well, she brought it into like the story and then she just left it here. And then ah. she left to go back to work. Oh my so God. So I've been like looking at it like, um, what do I do with there this? homeless, homeless weed, weed on our table. A token of, of weed appreciation. That's scary. Yeah, I don't want to so touch that's that. that's what that is. Oh God. All right. Well, you know, maybe it's good weed. We'll never know unless we smoke it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's not say we did. Yeah. Okay. That's a joke. I, oh my goodness. So we got some some ham bone going on. Oh man. Not to. You know who's probably not sick of of pig jokes? John Ham. John Ham. He's not over it. Everyone's He's like so- Ham for Ham. Ham it up with John Ham. That's like all the podcasts I was researching. <laughs> Honey baked ham. They were all had like ham puns in them. Wait, right. has he been on multiple podcasts? Yeah, if you go to Earwolf and type in like any celebrity, they'll just have like their page and then like a whole list of all the podcasts they're Whoa. on. Yeah, it's really cool. So I, I listened to a couple. In preparing for this week's episode. Okay, I'm gonna start talking now. So John Ham. Um we all know him, love him from his star turn as Don Draper. In mm-hmm. Mad Men. Uh, but, okay, so just to give you guys an idea, like, he, so that show was his big break. He was, like, a relative unknown before Mad Men. And when he booked it, he was 36. So, yeah. That's so this pretty is old. a story of somebody who just, like, did not give up. No. Which is pretty awesome. Uh, especially because once you hear about his early years. Uh, so, okay, so he was born in St. Louis, the son of Deborah and Daniel Ham. And, uh... D. Ham. D. Ham. Two Ds. Two D. D. Ham. A. Yeah. Burr. Okay. Anyway, a little Hamilton shout out. Uh, so his father ran this, this pretty relatively successful family trucking company. His mom was a secretary. Um, and... His parents actually got divorced when he was, like, two years old. So he would just see his dad, like, every other weekend when he was a little kid. Um, so it wasn't like to- like his dad totally wasn't in his life. Um, but, you know, he wasn't. Yeah. He came from a broken home from an early age. Got it. Um, and it was actually his dad's second marriage when he married his mom. Oh. Yeah. So I think his first wife had like died or maybe mm-hmm. they divorced, whatever. It's anyway, like Don Draper. Exactly. I was going to say. So I, a lot of his like inspiration <laughs> for the character Don Draper ended up actually coming from his dad cuz he was this, you know, he was running this business, he was traveling all the time. He lived this big lifestyle um you know that eventually led to his like relatively early death from diabetes and just poor health in general. But he was this big personality, smart, funny guy. Um, He had like 
40 suits in his closet of every color of the rainbow. Um, big jewelry boxes full of watches and lighters and cufflinks. Um, like, so he sounds like Liberace. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not that extravagant, <laughs> but like, you know, he, he really yeah. was embracing that, that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, he was born in 1971. So uh, so he's 10 years old and his mom starts having stomach aches and goes to the doctor and it finds out that she has like very aggressive stomach cancer. And oh, shit. Yeah. So this was like one of those things they caught it way too late. Um, and so she has this surgery and they try to remove like two thirds of her colon and she ends up dying. So his mom dies when he's 10 years old and, um, he eventually moves into his father, but it's basically from that point on mostly raised by like his friends' moms. Wow. Um, like his dad was around, but like you know he was doing his own thing. And yeah. So huh. yeah, so he you know says and he had said in an interview like he had struggled with depression from like an early age, um, but you know has always been this kind of like hold it in kind of guy yeah so again you know he just he's a guy who's seen a lot from early age and that that's something that the casting directors later said they saw in him when they were casting him for the role of don draper um mm-hmm. this is a guy who's like lived his life right um so he's but he, he gets this trust fund set up for him when he's only 10 years old from his mom passing away so that allows him to stay in this private school in St. Louis, um, called the Burroughs. It was like a big part of his life. Like, because he was so sad about losing his mom, he really like threw himself into school. And, um, he was Judas and Godspell when he was in high school, (laughs) but also on the football team, he was very athletic. So especially with football, like that was when he, um, that's how he got out a lot of his aggression and like Mm. sadness was, yeah. football but he so he was starting to like kind of do theater stuff but he wasn't he didn't really take it that seriously yeah um oh also a fun fact uh when he was in high school one of like his friends especially whose mom was like somebody who took care of him was sarah clark who is like the actress from um twilight i'm gonna pull up the picture so she plays like bella's mom in the twilight movies She's not, like, a crazy famous actress, but she's worked a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Renee. Yeah. Who, uh... Oh, and she was Nina Myers on 24. Oh, that's... that's right, that's yeah. the big one. It's a little bit bigger than... Yeah. Twilight. Oh, yeah, oh, no, I know right, who right, she right. is. She okay. kind of looks like Lena Headey. Yes. So, they were, like... they Like, John Han took her to prom. Like, they've been friends since they were, like... Oh, my gosh. Little kids. Yeah, so... That's how John Hamm got to be uh, Edward in Twilight. Yeah. That way. Little known fact. It was actually John Hamm all along. Yeah, it was him. It was all Hamm. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. So... <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... So he graduates from high school in okay. St. Louis. Uh, and then he uh, enrolls at um, the University of Texas. Um and he becomes a member of the Upsilon chapter of Sigma Nu fraternity. And then during his sophomore year, when he was 20 years old, um, 
I, okay, so I did not know about this, and I think Matt did, and he, like, witnessed oh, me so researching, freaking out about this, because mm-hmm. I just hadn't heard about this. Okay, buckle but, up, bitches. Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> I just want to set the scene for the frat house. Basically, so while he was in this fraternity, his sophomore year, John Hamm was involved with this really, really violent, brutal hazing of another student. And I, I don't even want to like go into detail of what they did because it, it's really bad. You could just look it up online. I did not know about this, but um, it the obviously the fraternity was shut down on campus. A couple of the students were arrested. He ended up he, the you know his charges ended up being dismissed a few years later, and you know he was, um, he wasn't like, at, held as accountable as some of the other fraternity members, but like he definitely was charged and it was a huge deal. Um, but, I'm, and this is not an excuse at all, but this is 20 years old is when this incident happened and this was also how old he was when his dad died. So like, okay. yeah. So his dad dies from diabetes and, and again, like just his unhealthy lifestyle of smoking and drinking a lot and eating like shit. In, in what you like found, did he ever mention any connection between the two things? Uh, maybe I, I personally didn't see or read anything, you know, this kind of his involvement in this scandal of, yeah, it's very hush hush. It, it, well, it, it only, and it only came out like last year. Yeah. Or I guess two years ago, 2015. What year is it? I remember it being a big deal. Maybe it was last year because I think Mad Men only ended last year. So yeah, it was like yeah, it was right around the end of Mad Men. But um, you know, I this article I was reading about him talking about struggling with depression for as a teenager and in his 20s. You know, a lot of it he says was triggered by the death of obviously started with the death of his mom and then became worse with the death of his dad. But he was saying, you know, I was I was totally unmoored by that, but luckily he had really good friends in his life and parents, and they all kind of rallied around and helped him, and he was struggling with this chronic depression, but he knew that what would help him was to be in a structured environment, so that's why he, mm-hmm. like, made sure to stay in school, and he did yeah. therapy, and he was on antidepressants for a while. Um, and routine, you know, yeah. like kind of structuring out your life. Yeah, and he says, you know, what therapy does, it gives you another perspective when you are so lost in your own spiral, your own bullshit. Oh my gosh. It helps. And honestly, antidepressants help. It can change your brain chemistry enough to think, I want to get up this morning. I don't want to sleep until four in the afternoon. I want to get up and do my shit and go to work and just like reset and start off. That is so true. Yeah. And then he says, you know, this is what kind of ended up helping him find his way back to the theater department and the theater community because they says he says like the theater department always seems to be a sort of way station for the orphans and all the people who don't fit in anywhere else. So we always end up coming back to it. Do you let me quick question. Do you think that therapy and theater are similar in that regard that they take you out of what you're experiencing? Yes. Yeah. Well, they allow you to take like the stuff that you're processing and instead of like d- diving into it like in your own lens, like take it and apply it to someone else. Mm-hmm. So it's still your emotions and your experience, but like putting it into the lens of someone else, yeah, there's which anonymity. I think is a healthier way to deal with it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it can be. For Sometimes some it's people. not. 
well, sometimes people get too into that. that. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Well, I think, I mean, the way that I've always kind of described therapy to people who haven't done it or are interested is like, it's like you have, you know, when you like have um, cords that you need to plug into a TV, mm-hmm. um, you have this nasty ball of nasty cords that are like tangled up and you don't know where anything goes. And you hand it to somebody and you you like give it to them for like an hour and then they untangle things. And then they give it back to you and things are a little looser and you can kind of start to plug things in. I love that. You know? Oh. Yeah. Thanks. See, you just have such a way with words. I, yeah, because it's like, you know, everybody's got a nasty ball of cords deep in their heart. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes other areas of their body. Plug it in, plug it in. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Mine is the cobweb graveyard in his my vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Back to John Hamm's depression. So anyway. Oh. Anyway. So, again, I'm not excusing this at all, but, you know, I read this was like a huge deal, this big scandal, and but as I was doing my research, I realized that it was around the same time that his dad died. So not that it's an excuse, but... I'm sure there was a correlation. Yeah, I'll pass. Yeah. So anyway, some shortly after this incident is when he ended up transferring to the University of Missouri, uh, and he was an English major, but he was there on a drama scholarship. Um, so this is a time he's like, okay, I want to go back into acting, and um, you know, while he's there, he ends up doing like. 15 productions in two years because he transferred in. So he's only there for like two years. But he's like full blown into it. Like black box every third week. Yeah. Uh, So yeah. And you know, meanwhile, his his he was like, acting was fun, but my grandfather would always tell me it's never too late to be an engineer. And so the idea is, you know, you're supposed to get a job and then do acting on the weekends or at school. So that's the kind of like feedback he's getting from the people in his life about acting as an interest. So, but he still loves it. He keeps coming back to it. So after he graduates from the University of Missouri, he, so remember how I was saying he loved his school, the Burroughs, so mm. much. He decides he wants to give back. So he goes back to the school and starts teaching acting to the, like an eighth grade acting class. And guess who one of his students was? I know who it was. I know. Why do you know so much? This I, is exciting I, for me. Okay, I, okay. Who was it? Ellie Kemper. Oh my God! That's who I thought it was. But it's Ellie Kemper. Shut Sorry. Up. Anyway, it was Ellie Kemper, which is <laughs> awesome because now oh, he has a recur has a recurring role on her show. Oh, he does. Yeah. Oh, he's the, he's the uh, cult leader. The creepy cult leader, Reverend. That in, was the big uh, reveal. Right. Uh, was Don't it? they hide his face in the first season and then it's him? Oh, I don't really remember. I have to go back and watch it. But anyway, yeah, he's a creepy co-leader on her show now, which is just funny. It's like full circle. Also, St. Louis. Yeah. Like, Who knew? Such so, a big so thing. Reading pool for talent. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, I mean, he went to school with him was friends with Sarah Clark. Uh, so he's there teaching. Uh, so it's probably like 1992. That's the year I was born. And... Oh um so put that into perspective, guys. Yeah. So, um, let's see. So then in 93, so, okay, so Sarah Clark, she's already in L.A. pursuing acting. And one of her friends is this guy 
named Paul Rudd. What? Okay, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. So they like he like becomes friends with Paul Rudd and like goes out to visit him in 1993, which was like the visit that inspired him that he you know doesn't want to stay in a quote unquote normal career, uh, and so this is what's like inspiring him to be like okay let me like tie up my like loose ends here in St. Louis. Let me spend the summer saving up money and then let me like drive out to L.A. But like me, he's really bad at saving money. So at the end of the summer when he's supposed to move, he only has $150. Oh, this is the best thing that's happened on 2020 so yeah. far. So he's like, well, and like he was saying, like, well, gas was a lot cheaper back then. So, oh. Oh my so he just uh, gets his old Corolla and drives. With $150? With $150. Oh, and that's yo. it. And remember, like, I mean, he has his grandparents and he has supportive family friends, but like, He's an orphan Mm. and he drives out to LA and he was like, yeah, he was like, I basically made it through the Rockies and then like rolled downhill into Los Angeles and then like his car like almost immediately died as soon as he got there and then it just sat in the spot because it was dead and he couldn't afford to fix it. So it just sat in the spot for six years, acquiring over $1,600 in parking tickets and has since been reclaimed by the city of Los Angeles. (gasps) Isn't that amazing? Has, uh, uh, has he paid it? No, no. I mean, it was like so long ago. <gasps> oh my! So he is Don Draper. That's what I'm discovering right now. Yeah. So he even has like the dark past. Yeah. So 1995, he's 24 when he moves to LA, uh, and he moves in with his friend Paul Rudd, and like three other aspiring actors that in this so like. Perfect crappy apartment in East Silver Lake, which is now like a hipster area, but at the time, like no one wanted to live there. Mm. Um, and yeah, and he just starts going for it. Um, and oh, this was fun. So while he was, I mean, he, so he's been, he had been living in LA for like 15 years mm-hmm. before like finally like being like famous and huge. And so, but like at the time he was turning out his friends, oh my God, I just dropped my microphone. So he was always like, so everyone, you know how when he was on SNL as a host and everyone was surprised like how funny he was because he was like known for this dramatic character as Don Draper. Well, he like was always just a big comedy nerd and his friends in LA, like when he was starting out were like, well, obviously Paul Rudd, but he was also friends with Sarah Silverman and Zach Galifianakis and they would all like go to the, um, they would all go to the comedy club underground together all the time. So is Sarah Silverman LA? Like, is she an L.A. comedian? I always thought she was a New York comedian. Um, yeah. Well, oh, I, I think, well, because around this time she had her show. And he had, oh. like, guest, he would be, like, a guest actor on her show every now and then. Dang, yo. Yeah. Um, okay, so anyway, he's, so he's in L.A. Um, and he's working as, you know, he gets his, like, waiter gig. And um, he is... Getting, he's actually, he's getting some gigs, but they're all, like, in theater. So he's doing, like, a lot of Shakespeare stuff in the area. And then, finally, he gets representation by William Morris Agency. But, okay, think about the time period that he's there. This is, like, Dawson's Creek era. Okay. So he's not getting work. Because, like, they all want, like, guys that are, like, really skinny and look like they're mm-hmm. 15. So, you know he's going to auditions to like be their dad and he's like 25 years old Whoa! because it's John Hamm. Like he's never looked like a little kid. Like he has always been like a no. man. He went straight from little baby Thor to like 
bear. Yeah, basically. Uh, so, yeah, so he had this, like, good agent, like, William Morris Agency, but by 1998, they dropped him after oh. three years because he wasn't getting any work. But to get signed to William Morris, somebody needs to think you have potential. Holy yeah. shit. Well, I mean, he's he, He's obviously... Oh, well, he's, like, yeah. amazing. But, he looks like, a, like the bounty paper towel guy. Yeah. Um... All right, so 98, yeah, so this time he's, like, nine, like 27. He's, like, about 20, 27, 28 at that time. So, but mean, meanwhile, he's working as a waiter, um, <laughs> and he's, like, sorry, let me, I'm, I lost my place. I lost my place. Oh. Also, I'm eating Christmas cookies right now, guys. I'm going to try to... Oh, yeah, I brought, like, a like giant box of Christmas cookies. Maybe he's a baker elf. He, he, All right. Oh, so he says, like, his lowest point was when his college friend offers him uh, a job as a set dresser on a softcore porn film. And Ooh. he's like, well, $150 a day? Like, totally. But, like, <laughs> being on the set was, like, totally depressing because, like... It's softcore porn, so they're not actually fucking each other. It's all the actors are like dead inside and like trying their best. And he's like, oh my God, this can't be it. And he would just like sneak off and like fall asleep in the corner. Mm. But around this time, he is at a party and meets um, his longtime girlfriend, Jennifer Westfeld. When they actually first met, they did not get along. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> but then she calls him from New York to ask if he could like work on this project that she was working on that started off as like a sketch, but she was like, well, maybe I can turn it into a play. Um, so, at the yeah, at the time, he's doing this like bad softcore porn job, and he's like, you know what? Let me just, uh, let me go. So he gets like, he borrows some money from friends and then goes to New York to work on this project, that ends up turning into the 2001 hit indie film, Kissing Jessica Stein. Oh! Yeah. Have you seen that movie? I have not, but I've heard of it. It is a very distinct name. Yeah. So when the movie comes out in 2001, he's in it. He's like a bit part, but like, yeah. That is so cool, and he moved to New York to be that bit part. Yeah, I mean, he didn't move there, but he went out to work on it with her. And then like a year later, like 1997... They started dating. And they dated up until like 2015. I know. Just sad. They yeah, were together they were for a long, a time. long time. Yeah. But yeah, it was cool how they got together. And like, you know, he's always like, I'm not like my character. Like, I never cheated on her. Like, they've just been very loyal to each other. And like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. But anyway, so he works on this project with her. And then finally, all right, so this is this is like a fun quote. So okay, so remember how like he gets dropped by his agency in 1998. Mm-hmm. So this is like after he does the play, and it's like he says basically, you either suck that up and find another agent, or you go home, say you gave it a shot, but that's the end of it. The last thing I wanted to be out here in LA was one of those actors who's 45 years old with a tenuous grasp on their own reality, not really working much. So I gave myself five years. I said if I can't get it going by the time I'm 30, I'm in the wrong place. The Jim Carrey approach. And as soon as I said that, it's like I started working right away. Holy shit. So by the time he's like, yeah. So by the time, so by like 2000, so when he's 29, that's when he gets his first TV role. 
as like a firefighter on the NBC show Providence. So he ended up being in one episode, and then it got his role got expanded to like 19 episodes. Ooh. So it's not that big of a deal, but it's work. He was able to quit his like waiter job. What network is that show on? It was on NBC. So it's probably on Hulu, guys. Check it out. Go get. But uh, you know, I was this like um, this podcast I was listening to. He talks a lot about like, you know, especially in the process of auditioning for Mad Men and his experience of just doing audition after audition and being all these little bit parts on shows. It's like what's really hard as an actor in LA, especially with TV, is like when you are auditioning and get booked in these pilots. So a pilot is like the first episode of the show they make, and then they like see if it does well and then the show either gets picked up or not mm-hmm. so as an actor like if you book it which usually takes you like a gazillion auditions and a lot of stress they'll present you with like your potential contract of like the money you could make so he'd always be like presented oh. with this like oh my god like this money could change my life and then it wouldn't get picked up or something and then it would just go away and he'd be like okay gosh that is stressful yeah so he's like yeah so you know, he's getting regular work, but he still has by no means made it. Um, so 2000, he's on Providence. 2001 is when uh, his girlfriend, Jennifer Westfeld's movie comes out, Kissing Jessica Stein. Um, he gets a little part, a one. he makes his film debut in the one with one line in Clint Eastwood's space adventure, Space Cowboys, um, Damn. in 2000. Uh, but then he has like a little bit bigger parts and obviously kissing Jessica Stein, which I've said like a gazillion times, but then we were soldiers. Um, and now he's like about 30. Um, oh, and then he, you know, he gets this like another like study gig as this recurring, uh, detective on this lifetime show, the division, um, which was about two years on there. And this was actually pretty cool. He has this quote, he was saying like, um, you know, another reason why he's not really like his character Don Draper is that he has always been surrounded by women all his life. Um, so, you know, the show, the division, it's like programming geared for women. So it's like a cop show. It's five female actors and then him. Um, but the women get to be so much more macho than he was. Um, but he's like, yeah, I mean, I was raised by a single mom. I've been, dating my girlfriend for like well I mean at the time of this interview he had been dating for 10 years so he's just always been like surrounded by strong women in his life yeah and he has a lot of respect and love for women so he's not like done in that way uh so anyway he's got but he gets little bit parts on like what about Brian CSI Miami numbers the unit and then like like I said the Sarah Silverman program he was friends with her but uh he just didn't give up. Yeah. And then, good thing he did not, because in 2007, after seven auditions. Seven I mean, auditions. okay, think about it this way. So basically the way he describes it is like, so yes, they had the big name of the, the creator, you know, Matthew, is it Weiner? Weiner? Yeah, Weiner. Weiner of uh, The Sopranos, you know. So they have him. But, you know, they're trying to make a new show on a network that is like, never done shows before. Yeah. Like, AMC was known for just showing movies. Mm-hmm. So they have, like, this is, like, a big risk. 
mm-hmm. to be doing Mad Men, and, the, and especially to be doing it in the way that they're doing it, because a network, a big network, would never allow them to do it the way they wanted to by having it so hyper realistic. Like they would never allow them to be like smoking cigarettes in every scene. But as we all know, like the whole point of Mad Men is that part of the reason why people love it so much is that it's just so true to the time period, and. Um, so they really wanted to do it like exactly the way they wanted to do it. So they were taking this huge risk by doing it with AMC. And so like obviously their instinct and what everyone was telling them to do was like get a big star to carry the show. Mm-hmm. So by going with John Hamm, who yes, he had been working a lot and like for a long time in LA, but he was not known. Like he was, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but they just, he kept auditioning and they kept being like, you know, they would walk. He would walk out of the room, and they'd be like, "That guy has seen some shit. Like he gets it." Yeah. He had to do like the entire pilot script. By the time he was done auditioning, he had like acted out every single scene from the entire pilot episode. Jeez. Like they really, he really had to like prove that he was. The Don one. Draper. Yeah. Um, that show is amazing. Yeah, and then I mean, he books that. He's thirty-six years old, and. Uh, Woo. The rest is history. And then but like, finds I mean, out he's not really Don Draper. Oh, sorry. Saying, spoiler yeah. alert. <laughs> but like, you know what he said. But it's so funny. Like, you know, he in all these interviews, he's just so humble because he was struggling for so long. You know, mm. even when he was like working a lot, he was not making crazy money. So he's like, you know, by the time he's like won the Emmy, he's like still like oh my god this is also new to me to be able to have this like really nice house and a really nice car and yeah. like, be a celebrity so that's why he's always just so down to earth because he was just yeah he appreciates a struggling it actor for a really long time most of his life up yeah. until now well good for you john yeah so john you know everybody loves you we love you we're we don't understand why exactly you kick the shit out of you the- abuse that guy or why you broke up with jennifer or maybe it was mutual you know what? I, don't, it's cool. I don't really know it's cool but I water think, under the bridge you know water we, all, under the we all fuck up yeah hopefully your your depression doesn't physically hurt other people but but you know what let's let's not end on that note yeah oh sorry i know i didn't mean to bring it back up he's the best i really like john ham don draper he's He's my favorite Don Draper. Yeah. And he's also hilarious in like Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. No, that's, first day of camp. He like, is like so funny. He is very funny. He is awesome. Yeah. He's um, a multi-talented actor who's worked very hard for a very long time. Very long. Speaking of somebody else who had their breakthrough a little bit later, later in their in career. Life. Yeah. Let's turn it over to Maddie Pooh for Kristen Wiig. All right, guys, Maddie Poo on the mic over here. Um, all right, I want you to all just buckle up really quickly as I read uh, the title of an E! News article about Kristen Wiig. Oh I think this is a good note to start on. Yes. TMI. Kristen Wiig goes public with pooping problem at Hollywood Gala. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Katie was drinking water when I said that. Um, that's just But I managed so not to spit it out everywhere, so... So we're going to start with her pooping problem. No, I'm kidding. Um, 
Okay, so Kristen Wiig was born August 22, 1973. She's a Leo, Katie. I know that's important oh, yeah. to you. We've had oh, a lot shoot. of Leos, actually. Well, a lot of Leos, a lot of actors are Leos because it's just, that's like the personality. You're not a Leo. No, I'm not. No. And neither am I. Maybe that's why I haven't made it. <laughs> so, yeah. God damn it. Change your birthday. I know. Go back in time. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't exist, I guess. Um, yeah, she was born in... Canadiagua, New York, or something. Uh, something like that. It's like Canada with like the word in Spanish for water after it. Yeah. Speaking Canadiagua. of water, John Hamm is a Pisces. Sorry, I had to look mm. it up. Oh, perfect. Water under the ham. Um, <laughs> so uh, she was born to John Wig, who ran a lake marina in western New York, and Lori Johnston, an artist. Ooh. Um, and just to acknowledge it right up front, I think she and her mom are both visual artists, mm. and I get a lot of the sense that that fed a lot into the screenplay for Bridesmaids. Ah. Um, because so, her mom's an artist. Oh, right. In yeah, in the movie. Her mom's making all those caricatures. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, baby. Um, so, uh, Kristen told The Guardian um, in, I don't know when, like 2011, that uh, her parents... Um, like, she wasn't really told growing up. She didn't just... She, people didn't think she was funny. Like, she was never, like, the ham that everybody was like, you're hilarious. Yeah. Um, like, her dad, she says, like, told a lot of jokes, and her mom is funny, but, like, mom funny. Right. Like, she's not trying to be funny. Yes. Like most moms. That sounds like my family dynamic. Yeah. I think because moms are always trying to, like, keep it together, and right. they, like, and little then, yeah. vulnerabilities slip through, and it's really funny. You got to know how to laugh at yourself when you're a mom. Yeah, that's actually true. Oh, that's they take themselves very seriously, and that's why they're so funny. Yeah. And that's a lot like mom humor. Yeah. Um. So before her dad retired, um, he ran this marina on the lake, you know, in upstate New York. Um, and I kind of get the sense that she was maybe a little rich. Mm. I don't know. I really... So, okay, here's just a disclaimer for the rest of this. I don't have a lot of dates and specificity because mm. she speaks about her past in a really kind of broad way. And there are Broadway. specific... <laughs> Sorry. Broadway. There are specific <laughs> moments where she will tell, like, you know, like, the name of a place or something. But um, we're going to just call this her 20s. Okay. okay, but I'm right now she's a teenager. Okay, and she recently told Jimmy Kimmel that when she was a teen, um, she was kind of a bad girl. <laughs> like yeah. she was, I she's like really good looking. I think she was probably like, I don't know, maybe not like the popular bitch, but like maybe like the girl who like that like beautiful, like you know, not goth, but like like pretty and like the popular people let her come, and then she says something really weird and everybody likes it. Yeah. Yeah. You know that girl? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a person specific that went to Middletown High School. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I know who you mean. I hope that people text Never me. I want to know who it is. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So, Chris and Wig uh, was a kind of a bad girl. She uh, used to prank call this one girl so many times that the police had to ask her to stop. <gasps> Wait. So, my sister did that once. <laughs> what? <laughs> They were prank calling this one girl so much that the, the mom called the police. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
Jeez, that's like almost bu- that's bullying. It is. It, it was. It's bullying. It is. it is bullying, guys. That's bullying. So I no, I really like Kristen Wiig. I want to make that clear. Okay, but just say John Hamm. Like everybody you know does something fucked up. I called this girl named Bethany Money an ostrich over and over again. She wasn't an ostrich. I don't know why I did that. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, we all have our ostriches in our closet. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when she was three, she moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania to be Amish. Mm. Just kidding. Um, and then uh, she, uh, in eighth grade, she moved to Rochester, New York. Um, oh, they moved a lot. She was 13. Yeah, they moved a lot. Um, just those marinas. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what her dad really did. But um, he ran this marina, I guess, in upstate New York. And they go back to Rochester... And, um, she was a little bit of a party girl. One more story to get out of her house to kind of get away with sneaking out late at night. If she was not home past her curfew, she would like, this was back when they had landlines. Um, and she would call her mom on the phone and, uh, she would call the house, the house phone. And then her mom would pick up and then she would say, Oh no, mom, I've got it. (gasps) Even though she wasn't home. Oh, so her mom would think that yeah. they had both answered the <gasps> Oh my god. That's I know. Like evil genius move. That is that is so smart. Wow. It's really smart. Yeah, no, I dug really deep to try to see if I could get more deets on her parents and like what they did, but I even read her grandma's obituary, but that oh, didn't shit. really turn up much. <laughs> um except maybe the names of some people I could stalk on Facebook, but I don't think that's very healthy. Um yeah, so I just kind of get the feeling that she was, like, really cool, didn't really have anything super traumatic happen to her, and uh, she liked to sneak out and prank call people. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like an SNL alum. Um, so, okay, so she didn't really know what she wanted to do. Um, so first she goes to, uh, a, like, a college, um, and it just she was going to study art, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really work out. And most of these details that follow, I got from her uh, interview with Alec Baldwin on his podcast called Here's the Thing from WNYC. Mm. If you guys haven't checked it out, um, heavily recommend it. Uh, this episode in particular is awesome. Um, she She's so interesting um, because, like I was saying, like it's kind of a broad past, but she does give these little bits of color, and they're really funny, very clear stories. Um, but so she did, uh, one year or like a couple years in college and it didn't really work out. She didn't know what she wanted to do. She was studying art and, uh, then she's dropped out. Mm-hmm. She goes, um, back to Rochester and she's just kind of like taking community college right. and she's kind of like, I want to travel. <laughs> uh, and so this is why I kind of think she might be rich, um, or came from like a, a, a more prosperous background. Um, she did this thing called National Outdoor Leader, uh, oh. National Outdoor Leader School. I've heard of this. I think that's what I, it's like guess. hardcore, right? Like you go and it's like you're supposed to like leave no trace and you like are out in the wild for like a couple weeks and like. Yeah. No, it's, it's intense. She says it's like outward bound. Yeah. Um, it's like, like you, I, I looked it up, um. First of all, you go for like three months to like one that I read about was like you start in the Baja coast of Mexico and then as it gets colder, this is like a a fall semester, as it gets colder, you go from the desert all the way up to like the 
Pacific Northwest Canadian like border. And so you experience desert and cold and you learn how to survive in the wilderness. Wow. Did you ever expect this from Kristen Wiig? No, I did not. I can't believe it. Like, this is so freaking cool. But I have heard of, like, people doing, doing that, that. And, yes, they were very wealthy. Um, spoiler alert, it's, like, $11,000 for what I just described. So if you thought that sounded cool, then you should Isn't probably get a sugar that, daddy. like, nowadays you have to, like, pay to have these, like, survival in the wilderness experiences. And, oh, like, back in the yeah. day, it was, like, you know, you just had to do it. It's, like, what would Jack London think? Um, yeah, homegirl likes to party, homegirl likes to sit in the woods. So, she goes to the woods and she figures it all out. Just kidding. That's not what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not a Cheryl Strayed story. She said that it was just really spiritual and it was like kind of reflection and she was there for three months and she's like, what do I want to wow, do? Yeah, it's a long time. And uh, then uh, she went to the University of Arizona to study studio art. Um, she told Alec Baldwin it was, eh, it was a boyfriend thing. That was why she wanted. So, mm. I mean, she would not be the first girl to oh, f- go God. to the University of Arizona to follow her boyfriend. Right. Let's put it that way. Guys do it too. Guys follow their boyfriends and girlfriends to the University yeah. of Arizona. It's the premier school for following your boo. Yeah, your significant other. It just seems like a fun place. Everybody that goes there always takes like poolside pics. Um, so she took, uh, an acting class when she was there. She only went one year and she took an acting class to kind of satisfy a credit. And her teacher was like, yo, you are really good. You should do this. And she was like, what me? Because she always had a fear of public speaking. Mm -hmm. She was never like, and that you, I so get that from her, like the, the movies she chooses now and her characters, like you were saying. The characters she plays. Yeah. She's shy, awkward. Mm hmm. It's kind of like that point where you are, uh, you're like as an actor assuming this other character and like the laughs are getting to the character, mm-hmm. not you. So it's not as scary. Right. Exactly. Um, and, uh, so she's, she's like, wow, okay, I really like this, uh, acting thing. And then the teacher is like really inspirational. He's like, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do? And she goes, well, you know, I want to move to LA and become an actress. Sorry, my phone's blowing up. And then he's like. Okay. And so she does. And this is the part where we were talking about in our mini-sode. Mm-hmm. She had this <laughs> this job that she was going to do. She'd gotten a job. She'd already dropped out from University of Arizona. She had gotten a job to draw uh, the modifications for plastic surgery patients on their bodies. And she was supposed to go do it. And she left before she was, like the day before she was supposed to start. And so wait, so like, is she like a... Oh, right. Well, she went to the school for studio art. Her mom was an artist. So, like, mm-hmm. I'm guessing she has, like, artistic ability. Because I was going to say, like, it doesn't seem like the kind of job that just gives to just anybody. Like, Oh, yeah. So she, you know, that's probably how she got that job. You know what? I didn't even think about that. I was like, I could draw lines yeah. on boobs. But see, the thing is, I couldn't. I know yeah. I would fuck that up. So like, yeah. And you're, like, artistic and good at drawing. And, you know, I'd imagine that you would need a little bit of an anatomy understanding because... Yeah. What if you like draw the wrong line on the wrong part of the boob right. or the nose or the then suddenly you get a boob Brazilian on your nose? Lift. Yeah, Brazilian nose on your butt. Yeah. God. <laughs> um, so she uh, she drops out. She goes. She says that she packs up her Jetta and leaves. <gasps> Jetta. Kinda, maybe kind of rich. I used to have a Jetta. Oh. Well, it was like we got it for my grandma because she got dementia and couldn't drive anymore. Oh. And then it was passed down through all my sisters. Oh. So it, it... You're not rich. 
What? Oh, we're not like we're not like rich. We're no. Not, like, poor. <laughs> <laughs> God. Sorry, I don't want to. I'm definitely about. editing that. Out. Uh, no, I, I. No, what I mean is I don't want to judge her by her Jetta, but I still kind of get the feeling that her family has money. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, like if if she has like a Jetta at college, like. Thing, yeah. I mean, at the University of Arizona. Yeah. Oh, and she also said that, like, this time at the University of Arizona was totally her party girl face. Mm. So, like, guys, she's cool. She dances she in CS cool music videos. She's cool. Get over it. It's fine. Um, so, she says, uh, then she goes out to L.A., and she's, like, terrified. And she gets a bunch of weird jobs. She works in anthropology, mm. which also uses her artistic ability because she helps to make the displays. She was, like, that cool art girl mm-hmm. in high school. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Right? Like, not, like, the preppy popular girl, but, like, the artistic one. It was, like, kind of dark and, like... Yeah, Loves like, photography. Still going to the parties. Still getting... Like you said, it's still getting invited to the parties, but, like, yeah, just being, like... The love interest in the last third of boyhood. Mm-hmm. That girl. Yes, exactly. Um, so, Kristen Wiig is not trying to do comedy right now. Right. She is trying to be an actress. Like a serious actress. Like a serious actress. And she's trying to get commercials and she's trying to get TV. And this this happens for like a couple of years. And again, I don't have specifics, unfortunately, but I would say like three to four years, she's just kind of auditioning for things. And then a coworker from one of her odd jobs invites her to go see The Groundlings. So if you don't know what The Groundlings is, um, Katie's pretty familiar with it. I know the format. Uh, it is like a it's like an improv troupe kind of similar in structure to UCB except that it is extremely exclusive and you need to take the entire curriculum uh and then you audition and then you basically become a part of like a very small school of people mm-hmm. um whereas UCB I think is a little bit more kind of empirical and the school of thought kind of carries out well, farther they have like more house teams yeah yeah exactly like more performances like, other, like yeah like uh, outside groups can come in and perform at their venues and stuff whereas like the groundlings i feel like it's just like one or two teams yeah and that's it and you like yeah there's like two groundling shows in la there's no other groundlings that's it and some people that have come out of the groundlings include maya rudolph uh john lovitz uh a few other people um but it awesome like very cool. So she goes through the Groundlings, and that's another, she says, four or five years. Wow. She's in the Groundlings for a long time. Yeah. And then she gets on the, the house team for the Groundlings, and uh, she's performing, and during this time, she's still doing her odd jobs to support it, because, spoiler alert, when you get on an improv team, it doesn't mean that you have money. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she's a babysitter for this woman, um... And she's like, hey, I'm in the Groundlings. You should come see my show. And the woman's like, okay. Turns out the woman is a talent agent, uh, or is a manager. Um, and she took Kristen Wiig on. Um, and they have been working together ever since. And uh, the manager films um, one of her Groundlings shows with all of her different characters. Some of her characters, even then, were like Aunt Linda, the Target Lady. Oh, yeah. Um, these, she films these characters and they send it into SNL. She auditions. She's told that they don't need her for that season. There's just no room. Lauren Michaels loves her, but there's no room. So she's not brought on. And then 
middle of the season, she gets a call. Hi, can you start next week? Wow. And she moves from L.A. to New York in a week. Wow. And she was 32 years old when that happened. Amazing. So Kristen Wiig was doing this for a long friggin' time before. And she also, here's the thing that I really love about this. She did not know what the hell she wanted to do until she was maybe 22, 23, 24. Like, and even then, it's not like there was any kind of uh, payoff that was right. in the, like, that was I in sight. Now I get to do it. Yeah, no. And also, she she like lied to her parents when she moved to LA. Like, she wasn't like forthcoming about this as something that she wanted to do for a while. And even still, her parents are kind of like, when she tells them that, oh, I'm going to be in a movie, they're like, oh, is that something we could see in theaters? Oh my God. <laughs> they don't know that her daughter is like the jewel of the comedy world. Yeah. So. Wow. Kristen Wiig, guys, was and is freaking awesome. And I'm sorry if I made her sound like a catty bitch, because she's not. She's wow. really cool. She's really And cool. just to cap this all off. She's got a pooping problem. I think a lot of us do. I don't even think that there's such a thing as like a normal pooping journey it's that one can It's a traumatic have. experience. <laughs> that we all go through several times a day. And some have, but some... Maybe some, not several times. Some have worse for others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It can be traumatic. I'm not trying, I'm trying not to be insensitive to people with Crohn's disease. Yeah. No, I'm just gonna... Her pooping problem is that she just hadn't pooped in four days. Oh. Okay. Which... N- not normal, but not, not terrible. We've all been there. Yeah. All right. So should we cap this off somehow, Katie? How do we wanna? Um, how do we wanna? Well, I think that you know. Just dot the T's. The reason that we picked these two together to talk about this week, I think, was because they are both actors who got their start a little bit later mm-hmm. in life. Um, Although, like, your 30s is not late in life. But you know what I mean. Like, um, and, you know, apart from the fact that they've obviously, like, worked together a lot on SNL and in Bridesmaids. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So we thought they would be a good, good duo together. And, yeah, I'm feeling very inspired by them. If you guys want to laugh really hard, go watch the John Hamm, Kristen Wake sex scene from Bridesmaids. It's never enough. With your mom in the room. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh. All right, right, guys. Well, I think we should sing our end of the song. Someday somebody's going to turn around. If you can hold on for one more day, you can hold on. For one more day, day, things will go your way. Hold on for one more day. Help prevent feline AIDS. Judy has feline herpes. She does? I can't set her up with my cat friend then in good conscience. It manifests itself for respiratory disease. Oh.